0: That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits, and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. I am so glad to introduce to you D.K. Koskisbabian today, because he is a brand new author of an enormously enjoyable book. And I want, I want you to embrace the opportunity to be able to read this book, the Rudimentum series. Ian Eternal. Oh boy, am I saying that correctly? Da- David Kasababian.
0: Pretty much, yeah. And um, my last name is Kasababian. And if you Kasabavian. were to read it and pronounce it correctly, um, the first time you see it, then you will have been the first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I see. If I did this the Italian way, it would be Sababa No, I'm not going to do it. This is an Armenian name, yes.
0: It is Armenian. My my. Uh, relatives, uh, my great grandfather Zorab um, immigrated here during the Armenian genocide to escape the uh, tyranny and um, settled roots here in America. And then he gave birth to my grandfather Benjamin Kasababian, who gave birth to my father Philip Casabian, and um, I am my middle name is Benjamin after my grandfather.
1: Oh, that's, that's a nice detailing of the information. And, you know, it's so interesting that you bring in your lineage with such detail because this book is about uh, a fantastical world, a world that at the onset you don't know if it's in the future or in the past, which, of course, becomes part of the unfolding mystery. And yet it does disclose a constant sense that each character has a very in-depth lineage. Are you conscious of your own... Uh, lineage and how you tried to create these creatures with their own prehistory and future forward-looking perspectives?
0: Um, well, when I create a character, when I introduce a new character, um, I'm, I, I feel like I'm creating a real person. A lot of what I create is um, based on my own uh, acute imagination and um, ability to make anything really a fantasy, uh, something like a reality. So what I do is I introduce a new character, I find a a, a suitable name, a good proper noun, and then, um, but I I don't leave it there. I I think to myself, actually it just flows out. As I write books, I don't outline, I don't make any preliminary um, things ready before I write, it just comes out. And um, if there are any discrepancies in the story, um, they are usually very small and require very little effort to fix. So... When I create a background story or um, a lineage off of a um, character, um, I do, it's like building Legos for me, which I used to do as a kid. And I just take it, take it, take it piece by piece, and then eventually I have the entire structure um, built. And then, uh, and then I, in, and then I implement that character and any um, attributable things based on that character's lineage to the uh, people, the rest of the characters in the book.
1: I was going to ask you how you did this i mean how did the how did the fantasy part of it come to you where you're where you find yourself in that arena because a, did you write in such a way as to bring all the senses forward, including my cognitive wonderment, my curiosity about how this is going to unfold, but in the same time, I'm smelling it, I'm seeing it, I'm having this emotional reaction to the content of what's going on and, you typically pull all of that together in one sentence. So every sentence is like writing this wave of information that's going to be dynamically moving itself inside of me. So how do, you, how do you create that experience inside of you before you finally find the words that are going to poetically capture that?
0: Um, that is a good question because um, a lot of it is based on my own, I feel, gift and talent of creativity. And um my fantasies um, can become a- very acute enough to where they even tantalize uh palpably my physical senses or what it seems to be my physical senses so when i when I wrote this book particularly um I would create a scenario I would place in a setting and then um i I purposely endeavored to create or to tantalize every a sense of the of the human uh, physiology, uh, sight, smell, sound, taste, and um, touch, because um, I didn't want my readers to just read the book, and I of, I find this often even in classical literature, and albeit they're written beautifully, but I wanted more of an experience, an actual um, like living out the book, and the and one of the methods I thought would be most suitable was to um, use and uh, to um, uh, sort of implement the senses. And so when when I, like for example, in one scene you'd be in like this room with a pool, and it wouldn't just be, well, there's a pool in the room. No, there's uh, lapses and splashes that have residual uh, water and condensation on the surface near the pool. Um, it was a heavy uh, weight and atmosphere in the, um, in the room, and uh, it was damp and, and almost even musty, but yet it had a purity about it, a, almost a chastity, as if the uh, ethereal nature of the room was somehow celestial or even divine, and then on and on it goes and it just, um, actually what I have trouble doing is uh, stopping. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of the reader, I, um, I put, I do um, use a filter, uh, uh, my own uh, little literary filter, so that I'm not so redundant, and um, because I could go on forever and ever about one particular thing, and um, huh. I because it just it never stops for me the the images the imagination the fantasy never ceases.
1: You know, and when I read your book, I do have that sense that you're wanting to go on and and that you're disciplining yourself to cut it short. You know, like you're, or or just to keep the pace going. And uh, along those lines. I found that while I was reading your book and sitting on the edge of my chair, there'd be moments when I'd feel like, oh, okay, I I know how this is going to turn out. Okay, I can relax now as a reader because I can go into this kind of predictable mode of of what's going to happen to the characters. And And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this amazing twist of plot and character and events that, that takes a sudden turn that I never would have been able to predict. Um, and and I'm going, what? Oh my goodness, really? And then I just I, I just sit there, kind of dialoguing with you, and going, what? What are you doing to me, and, yet, and, the, <laughs> and then you carry. It's almost as if you hear my thoughts and you say, okay, now this is why we're going this direction, and this is what's happening, and this is how we got there. And it is it is such a beautiful dialogue between my. In my movement, my own adventure in reading the book and and seeing actually the characters and events evolve, um, at the end of the book, I'm sitting there thinking, "Wow, that's how far we came with this main character." Well, you're laughing. So, what are you thinking about all that I'm saying?
0: It just, um, uh, I'm, I'm I'm amused on multiple uh, levels here because one, um, I I went to college and I my favorite classes take were English and writing classes just to learn more about well, my native language, but um, I, n- I, never got, I never got too far past remedial English or remedial writing. I never even finished no. school. I probably have a handful um. of credits, and never once in my entire life have I taken a creative writing course. And so Amazing. On that, um, I, I just, personally, I just feel that this is nothing more than a God-given talent and my and um I was asked a question by um a person who uh uh tested me on the Myers-Briggs. She said plainly, "Why do you want to become a writer?" And I thought about it. I, I kind of went into a little dialogue and I just uh, ultimately I said, "You know what? I just want to make people happy." And she just said, "Thank you." <laughs> and so um, <laughs> with uh with your description and how it unfolded, um it's it's actually a little surprising. I've read the book, you know, multiple times, and it's uh, almost rudimentary to me. However, when I hear uh, people's reaction—and not yours, but others—I um, go, "How did I do this?" <laughs> um, it was, I—it just like 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 I said before, it just flows out. It just—it's almost like a stream in my mind that's constantly going, and um, I I generate these scenarios and events, and the only way the only way it'll ever create substanti- substan- substantial um, uh, a, like, a, like a substantial aura is to write it and because um, if i create something in my mind and i don't write it down or even record it uh... verbally it's never going to be heard or seen again and so um i guess i just did it it, it just was that's the best thing i can come up with
1: that's so interesting because I, at one point, I put down the book, and, I, and I'd say, you know, he just took a t- major twist here. And, and I stopped, and I thought, well, how many twists could he have taken at this moment? And I thought, I'm wondering, does he outline it so that you have, like, all these different options, and then you choose the one that is the most startling or the most, uh, the most pausing? I, I mean, and you do it quickly. You don't sit there and, and drag things out in terms of the way you switch the plot. Um, you do it quickly. It's uh, it, you're not, you're not. It, life is quick, you know. It happens quickly. Things just suddenly come out of the blue. I can't say so much. I don't want to run this for people, but I mean, at one point you're in the middle of battle, and this horrific individual has done this horrific thing, and is forced into having a respite that is not in his character. And that respite turns into sudden and incredibly horrifying disaster, and just that for this victor, and it's like, "Whoa, I hope I didn't give away too much, David. <laughs>
0: no, no, you didn't. Um, I, I, th- I believe I know which event you're referring to, and um, um, that character, if I, if I understand you correctly, the um, is one of, was one of my favorites to create. Um, he uh is a transition um, from I, I can't say too much but he does have a transition and he is just he was my favorite to work with um, aside from the main character and all the others but he was just my favorite because I felt like I could do so much with him because he was so driven especially especially after his father and um, all all the people around him he was just had this this uh, this almost this uh fakeness about him this um insincere error about him and um it, it was only in a radical and disastrous cataclysmic event that it caused him to change and um in my experience um i find that the most the most um usable events in our lives i mean such as 9-11 causes change and um especially in a in a in a person who's so rigid and so dogmatic in his ways he's not going to change unless he's faced uh toe to toe face to face right with death himself and that's why the the other character um i I don't want to give too much but um he uh it, it's almost like you need a savior at that point and um and that's why i I love the whole messianic message i give in the story Um, based on my own faith as a Christian, to show, like, you know, I needed a Savior. I I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And throughout all my books, I hope to uh, convey this parable that, um, you know, you're you're not going through this alone. You're going to need a Savior because all by yourself you're doomed. So, yeah.
1: That's an interesting theme. And if we just follow it through for a moment, I just, I think that, If I think about the main characters as I characterize them, each of them have a saving component to the other characters. None of the characters are uh, not interfacing with the well-being and the future success of another character. Um, They're interlaced by way of support, challenge, uh, forcing them into strengths and boldness, uh, forcing them into facing ideas, experiences, truths, that will ultimately help everyone and help each other. So it's almost as if you've interlaced everybody to acknowledge that everybody plays a part in assisting and saving it. Did you contemplate that before?
0: Um, honestly, no. I, I just sat down and um, I, the, the one reoccurring thought in my mind when I wrote this was, I'm going to submit this for professional publication um, with, oh. whatever, <laughs> with whatever came out. You know that's what it was, but um, I I I do experience when when I create characters, places, events, um, worlds, or even uh, anything in my mind. Um, I I can't I have an ability to almost know them as if they were real, and so w- with that mentality, um, I think it comes more like a natural ability to to interlace them, as you say, and interface them, because. I envelop myself in this, wor- in this world um, often, even with my sequel, and so when the characters are introduced or when they're, um, when they're, when they're doing something, um, I don't need an outline or a piece of paper to remind me of how this character reacts to such a situation or et cetera, et cetera because I already know because, in a sense, I'm already their best friend, because I already know them better than they know themselves not only did I create them, but I'm, in in a sense, in kind of a weird way, I'm related to them. So that's why I don't use an outline, because I I just involve myself, um, (laughs) maybe sometimes dangerously, in my world. (laughs) And um, that's why, um, usually after I'm done writing for a long period of time, uh, back in um, 2012 when I wrote this, uh, I would... I would look up from my from my laptop and I would look around and i'd I'd be reminded that oh i I'm still in Starbucks or oh, I'm still in Panera bread and I'd close my laptop get, get all my stuff and walk out and I'd be dizzy and the world around me, the reality would be have a little like a little glaze over it like whoa i gotta i gotta stop writing three thousand words today's my limit so
1: Wow. And, you know, having written a number of books myself, I know exactly what you're talking about. You immerse yourself so deeply, steeped in that process, that the outside world goes far, far away. And it seems odd when you come back into it, as if they're interfacing with you, without you having actually written the scripts that they're giving you. It's, it's a, it's, I think it's a writer, especially a fictional writer's way of being in the world. Is yeah. You're in the world of you in. Yeah. Have you talked to any other fictional writers that describe that process?
0: You know, um I can't really recall ever meeting um an author of fiction. Usually um even some of my friends who have written books or writing books that, that it's all non-fiction. And um yeah. and it, when I when I speak to them or when I encounter them, I, I get the feeling that you know they are very left-brain oriented. They are very um they are very, you know, li- logical and um, and not saying that they're not creative, but it, it's almost like when when I meet people and I'm, I mean, especially with my autism, you know, I rarely look them in the eye. I'm always kind of just gesticulating in an odd way, and uh, you know, it's <laughs> I, I look kind of funny. But um, <laughs> uh, I've ne- I've actually never met another um, creative writer uh, personally.
1: I know you're bringing in your autism, and I do know that we want to travel down that road, and I thank you so much for being straightforward with that, because I think this is going to really enlighten so many people along the lines of autism and the autism spectrum. And do you want to go into that now, because I have a million other questions, and fortunately we have enough time for all of them. So would you like to kind of describe what it's like to be autistic, and, and to be this fabulous fiction novelist at the same time?
0: Well, um, living with autism uh, foremost has been, uh, if I may say, a living hell because it is a v- vastly misunderstood um, disorder. Moreover, as a child growing up in school, uh, my parents and teachers didn't even have a clue that I even had autism at the time. Actually, in, back then when the DSM-IV was still um, in effect for the uh, Mental disorders. It was Asperger syndrome, and Strange. so I, I was constantly tested. Um, I was given, I was, you know, EEGs, you know, everything short of an MRI, and um, and I didn't know what was going on. All I knew that when I had, when I went home from school, rode my bike, I I came inside, and the first thing was I'm hungry, and then the last thing on my mind was to do homework, and when I was actually compelled to do homework, when my parents that "Do homework right now," or and the, or, you know, whatever. It just—I right. was—I've I, been struggling to think of an analogy to describe what it was like leaning over my accursed desk in in my room. You know, the ri- the rigidity, the the discomfort, the um, the awkwardness, the pencil in my hand, the uh, the way the abrasive lead rubbed against the paper just irked me so much. The book open, it was just the most uncomfortable, dissatisfying and um loathsome feeling I've ever experienced just to do a series of math problems um, of an elementary level which I could do, I had the intelligence to do it, I just had no constitution to do it and it just drove me crazy. And so what I would do is I wouldn't do it and I would just go upstairs to my brother's room and play video games because that was my that was my opiate, that was my nepenthe and and it made me feel better because not only was it something i wanted to do but it took me into other worlds Um, my favorite games were um the final fantasy series and um i mean right there you can you can tell why i had an interest in it because it was a Mm fantastical world of mythical creatures Mm -hmm. um, magic spells flying dragons airships every um a a vast majority of the book um you read and the books to follow in the series are based off of the Final Fantasy saga, um, and oh, so interesting. and so when I finished when I finished playing the video games, um, it's late at night, nine o'clock, and then um, my mom calls me from downstairs and she says, "David, did you do your homework?" And I go, "Yes, I did." I, I would uh, deliberately lie um, because if huh. she, because if I said no, then she would make me do it, and that was the thing I did not want to do. So. I was very, I I struggled in school and all throughout high school my parents didn't know what was going on and then um, fortunately I did have sort of my own little personal savior in high school by the name of Mrs. Barcroft and she was a directed studies teacher who specialized in helping students, high school students, um, develop and get by and pass school but she had to break out the uh, proverbial whip because um, short of looking over my shoulder to make sure I do my work, um, she made me do it, and I barely, just barely graduated from high school. Um, exhausted and to the point of just withering away to dust, I entered college, and it was, it was disastrous. I was almost immediately under probation. Um, All I wanted to do was sing in choir, play the piano, and bang on the drum. And aside from that, I just, my parents were angry, and then eventually I dropped out of college. And at this point, I was actively psychotic. Um, My only defense mechanism to battle the autism, which I didn't even know I had, was to create my own world in which I lived every single day of my life, whether I was awake or asleep, and then through... Another helper in my life, to whom the book is dedicated, um, my counselor, uh, Dr. Jeff Schwigger, and he um, he had to um, pretty much hold my hand through the whole ordeal. And um, it was uh, it was around summer or fall of 2007. I finally started to turn around. Maybe even earlier, maybe winter 2006. He um, that's when i recall when i started to change and come out of the psychosis and um it was uh, a from my 24th year of age on to now my 30th it was it has just been a meteoric rise out of what i what i called um as a proper noun my agony because it was that terrible um so um i've come out of it and my friend everyone is just blown away by the change Um, Jeff himself has told me at his old office that all the other counselors who see me walk by would pull him aside and say, is he okay? Because even in my very gait, um, I, I looked like one of the guys you'd see in downtown L.A. walking along on the streets, homeless. And so, um, it was through a lot of prayer, a lot of, a lot of sorrow and a lot of mourning that I was able to choose, make the conscious choice to conquer my psychosis, my agony, and um, although I still live with autism and it is an egregiously challenging effort, I endeavor, as the back cover of my book says, to conquer what many might deem
1: unconquerable. Whoa. Wow. One day you're going to write a story about this, yes? Direct, biographical? Yes.
0: yes. Um, I, oh, I, I can barely for it. I, I, do, I do intend to write an autobiography and, um, because I love writing so much, um, I have, um, I, I did, I do keep a daily log, which I started back in 2003, and um, what I would, when I worked at Disneyland in 2005, um, because I only worked one day a week, I would go to Disneyland for free by myself, sit down in Frontierland and just journal, and I would just journal, 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 and I would do it almost every day. Um, I did a a rough calculation about how many words I wrote um, thus far. I think I'm probably in the vicinity of 700,000 to 800,000 handwritten words over um, thousands of pages of notebooks. Mm -hmm. And so utilizing all that history um, of which I recorded, um, I intend to possibly even make a multi-volume autobiography because... um, in my in a simple recollection subjectively I can say there's more information in my life than what one book could hold beginning even with my very birth my mother had her fallopian tubes cut and tied off before I was born so in a sense I wasn't even intended but one of her tubes came undone her eggs were fertilized and I was born not only that but when I was born I consumed amniotic fluid and contracted spinal meningitis and was inches from death right then and there.
1: Wow. I mean, oh so. wow. You know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about your actual history because I'm thinking about in the book you have your morbus and this morbus is this uh, uh, amazing opportunity of facing torrential agony in a way that strengthens your character beyond belief. And I'm wondering if that's what you feel like you have gone through uh, during during that time post high school into age 24, kind of your morbus of agony.
0: Indeed, um, I created morbus because so often when I go to church and um, for my own uh, personal edification, is the whole gold refined by fire metaphor in which a, a mm-hmm. gold refiner will boil gold to the and um, scrape off the impurities at the top. Let it cool. Boil it again, and repeat this process to the point where gold becomes its most purest. But it has to be done at, at incredible amounts of heat. And that was the whole um, emphasis behind Morbus: was that it pushed you to to the to the to the pit, the abyss of the most anguishable experience you could ever even have, the l- lamentable experience to feel. And then through this, you, you accept the fact that you are going to die. You're in such pain that you, that you are going to die. However, you're still alive and you're worried that you won't die because when will the pain end? And through my life, um, I, I've told people that there were, there were times when I consciously tried to renounce my own faith due to my anger at God. And why is he doing this? Why am I in such pain? You know, make mm-hmm. it stop. I hurt now and i feel like kicking and screaming i tried to run away from him pull myself away peel myself away and just get out do anything i could in my mind or in my in my body to stop the hurt and i just i just know that he was not going to let me go like he Hmm. he stuck with me even though i didn't and then in the end um i've come out i've Published the book, I'm learning how to play the violin, I'm musically talented, um, I can create anything and make it a reality, and then, and then many other talents of mine that have ensued over the years, and then I just say, thank you, God. And so Morbis was sort of, yeah, I suppose when the opportunity came to create it, I said, you know what, we need to, or I need to, um, create um, a chamber, a room, an area which pits man to the worst thing that could possibly happen
1: to him, yet not kill him, and not kill him. Wow. Well, the other thing is that you know you're saying that you kind of have this sense of destiny that you know, despite all odds, you are here, born human, alive, despite these odds that you mentioned on your you know on your birth, and. I, there, you, you convey that sense of destiny with m- each of your characters. All of your characters have this have this uh, kind of feel to them. That we are here for a collective purpose, and to be congruent with that purpose and to manifest it in support of our world is our greatest calling. Um, is that germane to you as well?
0: Uh, I think I think so, very much so. If um if I were to make a, 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 a an ultimate conclusion as to what the book in its entirety symbolizes, I suppose you could say that all I was doing when I wrote it was emulating everything about myself into the book and what I've experienced, what I love, what I hate, what I um, enjoy, what makes me laugh, what makes me cry. And so I think in a sense the book is pure emotion my pure subjective emotion and i do feel this sense of destiny um beginning with my birth and many other occasions in which um i feel god has guided me and the most one of the most substantial is my um my suicide attempt in the in january of 2005 i believe um i found myself consuming um some excedrin and uh, unconsciously, mind you i i wasn 't even deliberately doing it for some reason. it was so automatic and um, after consuming i believe twenty six to twenty eight pills um, I, I also automatically, by some means not of my own control, threw on some shoes, a jacket because it was cold, and I walked I, I, I stepped outside my house, I was all by myself, stepped outside my house, grabbed my phone keys wallet like I normally do poison in my veins and um, locked the door and walked. And uh, I had no idea why why, or what I was doing. In retrospect, it feels very, very um, ghostly as to how it happened, very ethereal. So I, I walked, and before I knew it, I found myself in my local hospital emergency room. Um, wow. It wasn't, wasn't too far away. And I walked up and I sat down, sat down for a little bit, um, kind of looked around, and I walked up to the receptionist and said, I just tried to kill myself. And then, um, then she, then, uh, they, and she said, I ha, what happened? I said, I, I swallowed a whole bunch of pills and she said, oh, okay. So she, uh, uh, swung around, um, threw me in a wheelchair, um, rushed the doctor and put me in a, in a bed and, um, had me drink, uh, three quarts of what they call charcoal, like this liquid charcoal to neutralize the poison and, um, for about nine hours, I was nauseous and, uh, because of it, and even vomited up the, uh, the contents of the charcoal. So, and uh, my mom was called, or I called my mom, told her I was okay. She came down and kind of sat beside my bed. And um, so after nine hours, the doctor finally concluded that, there, that the, the threat is passed, that the poison is out of my system, and um, I am no longer um, in danger. So psychiatrist comes obviously and asks if I want, if if uh, for rest and purposes of uh, relaxation to kind of like you know, kind of take a breather as he uh, as he put it and um, to go to the Cerritos College psychiatric ward, um, uh, kind of uh, right by Cerritos College, and I actually said yes. I said yeah, I'll go. But many of my friends said yeah, they probably would have 5150 view, and I go yeah, probably. So. I I went there and I was there for six nine nine days, and just sort of I just sort of like, um, kind of went to bed and ate breakfast, did their arch and crafts and watched a movie. They had a piano there. I played the piano. Everyone was very impressed that uh, I found my piano playing and just kind of took a breather. And then um, shortly after, I, I don't not too much longer. I was I felt like I was a danger to myself and told my mom like Mom, I want to die like. I think I will try to kill myself again, and so I was admitted a second time to the Los Angeles psychiatric ward, and that also took hours because to, the psychiatrist had to come along again and determine that I was a danger to myself, and um, so then I spent six days there, and after that, and that was a that was that was actually a, I didn't like the second one as much as the first because they were more strict, but um, mm. I just kind of. I had a. I was reading Les Miserables at the time, unabridged, and that was also oh, another... that's a
1: heavy, dark book, too. Oh, that's so dark.
0: Very much oh, so. and, and
1: dark, and dark. Very dark. much so.
0: <laughs> and uh, I like the fact that Victor Hugo um, used such superfluous writing and went into great detail oh. about things like rope that it allowed me to sort of um, kind of separate my, my pain from that of uh, something mundane, such as um, the bishop's interior decoration at the beginning of the book and its financial records i'm like this is good i like this because it is mundane mm-hmm. and it uh-huh. is ordinary so reading the book i was at the psychiatric ward was released um on the recognizance of my uh, mother and the doctors so finally after that um it was about 2005 i was working at disneyland and then um slowly just very gradually jeff started to, uh, to see a just step by step stroke by stroke baby step by baby step i came out and um never went back to a psychiatric ward um but it was definitely an experience to um to have to come along and uh in in reference to the destiny issue i just feel that no matter what i do um i do have sort of a, a destiny I, I feel and i'm an extraordinary one at that and i also feel that everyone has this destiny but um an, like an extraordinary value, but um, I feel that it, it falls on them to choose to embark on such a journey. And I, and what, what detracts me personally from wanting to do this is the pain and the hurt involved in such uh, an endeavor. And I, I kind of look at myself like, why would I want to do this? And I, I just say to myself, you know, the, 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 the rewards... The, the the reward is uh, foremost making people happy but also giving a testimony to a story that I feel um, every time I tell it to anyone they're just blown away and maybe I'm missing out on, on the gravity of the whole situation because I say it with such nonchalantness and it's like wait what what am I missing and so um I guess in, in uh, by default I say you know I'll, if anything, i got to get this story out. So my destiny, I feel, is to, with words, and um, with words to convey and to articulate the fact that my life was saved a plethora of times.
1: Wow. Just like your characters. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. And you do you feel that sense of destiny interchanged with that sense of, Agony with that sense of calling to the future, with that sense of uh, I have to do this regardless of where it takes me. And you are really conveying from the depths of your own experiences on a on a level of fantasy, a playful fantasy, a fictional arena. Uh, something that is such a, a personal and real drama on so many levels. Thank you so much for sharing all those details. And, yeah. and so. Your book, yeah, really very rich to know all of the depths of that. I'm just so excited about your other writings and how they'll address this as well, because your characters really are embody the fight for life, the fight for love, the fight for community, the fight for the sustenance of the human race is even uh, uh, touched in and, and laced into... Uh, the, the, the possible destruction of the human race and the readers have to get that toward the end of the book it's a, it's a fight for the ego stupid ego power, freedom love, romance divine connection and the questioning of even the divine exists and it, their book is an embodiment of all of these very fundamental human strivings and apparently a reflection of your own fight
0: uh, very much so. I um I just uh I, I wanted to I just I just wanted to create something beautiful. I wanted to I wanted my readers to read it and experience it and um get a message across but I think um to make people happy I felt I, I see it all the time. I love movies and every time I watch a movie I go, That is beautiful, that moves me and so um, last time I checked, I wasn't much of a, a cinematographer or director of a motion, major motion picture. So I said, "Well, the next best thing will be writing." So why don't I just sit down? And um, this this began sometime in 2004 when I was first inspired to write by um, actually the movie Secret Window of all movies and the movie. Contact. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> I told myself, you know, this is like pure fiction. Uh, you know, I, I want to create too. I want to. I want to do something radical, and I want to create instances in these stories where people are just going to go, whoa, you know, whoa, that was a close caller, whoa, look at that, just the whole interjection, the whole um, uh, interjection of, whoa, that was amazing. And above all, because I am a helpless romantic, and I just am craving that one special someone, you know, almost all day, every day, I, I say to myself, who is she? where is she and where can I meet her? And um, so, in in the sense of romance, I felt that a a common recurring theme in the movies is that even though there's such destruction and such sadness and such sorrow, um, the one thing that these movies, uh, especially the fantasy and and, um, all the fictional, and and all the um, creativity of a fictional world I see in movies, is that... There's love. There is, there is a love for someone you cherish and adore and would do anything, even die for, so that she or he could be happy. And it's that whole self-sacrifice. You know, I'm going to risk everything for your sake. And it's that theme of, of love that I wanted to convey. And it's beautiful. And so in creating the, my books... I, I at least uh, for the first one I said that's why the senses are all tantalized because I want not only do I want you to experience it but I want you to look at it as if you were looking at a Vincent Van Gogh, a Leonardo da Vinci, even the even Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. You know, you look up and it's so high above you. It's like feels like miles above you and you and it's almost like that art, that beautiful art the paroxysm of color, it just it just overwhelms me and it's so high up I can't even fathom to reach it because it's heavenly. And I just wanted to say, look I just wanted to write you know, he he entered into the the haven of the forest, the leaves cascading off the trees and falling in the usherance of the Advent of Fall and the wind crisp and clear tingled his skin yet caused some sort of comfort despite its chill nature and he just rushed through and jumped into the water, and the coldness shocked his system, yet coming and uh, emerging from the water, he, he, he just gave a huge sigh, and all his worries, all his woes were just dissipated in that one instant of physical shock, and he just erupted into an emotion of elation, and he just sat on the bank of the river and said to himself, um, you know, despite everything, there is always hope
1: folks you have just heard the way this book reads. That's beautifully, beautifully said. Love, hope. Yeah, let's, faith. Let's, mo- faith. Okay. let's move into paradox because your book also produces a, 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 a juxtaposition of one point, one One character can be one way, and then suddenly through something like what you're saying, jumping into the water, they suddenly arise with the other side of them, their own internal paradox. Or here's an individual that's in pursuit of love and discovers love and puts love first and foremost, and yet the paradox is to choose that is going to ultimately, possibly, potentially catapult uh, catapult individuals into calamity, and, and many, 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 many individuals into calamity. So this person is, is, is at the apex of the paradox of life, of choice, and you have paradoxes throughout your book, from the po- political points of view to how the individuals evolve and respond to the choices that they're on the, on the edge of having to make and that are going to be the tipping point of something wonderful or something not wonderful. But you have constant, a, a position of paradox. Were you conscious of that or did you put that in there or is that something in your own experience of life that extends or all of that?
0: Well, I don't think I consciously did it, but I do feel I subconsciously did it because I feel at Advantageous in that I never took a creative writing class. Moreover, mm. when I do read books, they are very um, st- they are very structured. They have a certain rhythm and rhyme to it, and that's all good and fine. I enjoy reading all the time, and I like the structure. However, I, I wanted. I feel as a writer, I want to um, draw outside the lines and be that one musician or that one artist who says, you know, I'm going to do something different, like. Pablo Picasso, you know, before he went abstract, he was very, very much of a rea- realistic art or realism, uh, still life. And so, um, like Picasso, in a sense, um, I created what I felt what life was really like. I, I talked to people, my friends, my family, my co-workers, and the last thing their life is is structured and rudimentary and um, even logical, and they're always changing. They're always they're always impulsively choosing something that's even outside their own character. And um, when I created uh, Aeon Eternal, all the characters, you know, I I'd throw them in there. And even my father, who read, read the book, he said, um, you know, this guy, you know, at one point he's doing this, but all of a sudden he's doing this, and then he's back here again. I'm like, well, yeah, isn't that how we kind of live life? It's like we find ourselves in a period of indecision. You know, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's right or what's wrong. We just sort of like go with the flow, and and um, you know, they say, why why can you never step into the same river twice? It's because it's always moving. It's always changing, and it's so and it's sorely unpredictable. And um, I guess subconsciously, all these paradoxes arose because of the fact that I wanted to emulate a, a sense of life and that li- and the unpredictability of life and the almost the the violence nature and the violence occurrences life can so recklessly produce for us and um we don't always have time to think or time to uh choose what we think is best sometimes we just have to like go for it um or just do what and you know what sometimes we choose the wrong choice and we have to we have to face the ramifications and in doing so picking up the pieces as it were we become stronger as a person because now we know if this happens again, I'll have a better idea of what to choose. And that's the whole point of living is to make mistakes so that we can grow because if, if we make all the right choices, then we're perfect and no one is perfect. And I, I don't even think this book is perfect. I think it has beauty in that it is flawed. There were, <laughs> my cousin pointed out a lot of spelling errors. And I'm like, oh hmm. wow, I got to talk to my editor, da 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 da. But it's like, <laughs> I, I think the That's most every beautiful,
1: book, yeah. yeah, every
0: book, right? I think the most beautiful things and the most meaningful and inspirational and above all edifying things are the things that are flawed. Um, we we find we strive so hard, for, strive so hard for perfection that I fear we're missing out on the pulchritude evidence in those that are actually. Very far from
1: perfection hmm. is that Wow, yeah, none of your characters have this perfect perfection. They all have their Achilles heels, they all have that kind of glitch of of, uh, of humanity, whatever their particular situation is, and their circumstances are not perfect either they they may be in pursuit of warmth and find themselves freezing in the icy I- icy clutches of death. It's just a uh, it's, it's like, whoa, that's not why we went off and did this. <laughs> this is not what we anticipated. What is What is this? Why is this the consequences of our decisions? And yet, standing back and looking at it, you go, well, of course, that's a consequence of your decision. Don't you see how this, this, and this led to that? And um, it's Simultaneously, you seem to be writing from a perspective of, I'm not going to say God, but kind of like that narrative, that narrator that rises above and looks at all the dimensions going on, and then decides to kind of focus into a situation. It reminds me when when my son plays Grand Theft Auto, and we'll suddenly go to a different character, and we've left one domain, we zip up into the space, and then come down to a entirely different simultaneous event taking place. And um, all in all, they're going to they're going to connect. There, and and you do have this wonderful way of. Putting all these threads out there, and just stop. And not, you don't finish the thread, but you do enough of connecting the threads. And early in the book, that you know that you're going to. The author is going to connect this dangling thread down the road, and the anticipation of how you're going to connect that dangling thread down the road makes me feel like you're writing the book as a perspective of God, so to speak, the above a narrator, and then simultaneously we, we enter compelled to be fully encased in the senses and experiences of the character who is now in the present, who doesn't know the future, who just knows the decision to be made given the event and information they know in the moment. Um and then suddenly rising above and having this perspective of on a more global basis and and then back down to the blindness, the veil of being in the immediacy of the human experience, did you experience that while you were writing it uh, um, i I'm,
0: I'm trying to think um i i i, I suppose <laughs> I, I suppose I did have that sort of top down that sort of a heavenly or that select or that ast- astrological view like looking down at the whole picture and seeing it for what it is but in um but honestly to be truthful uh as I was writing it I didn't even know what was going to happen Wow. Um, no. because, because I had no outline I had no all I knew was that um I wanted a I wanted a happy ending think maybe even bittersweet um I I knew where I had a general sense of where I was going and um, I, I knew I had to tie those threads. I knew I know I had to complete thoughts that might have been um, uh, cut short previously in the story. Um, that was one thing I, I discerned as a writer. You know you don't want to let leave anything um, unfinished. Um, I mean, uh, depending on how the story unfolds, maybe you do. However, I as I was writing it, it just I, w- I was in the moment I, I would reread what I previously wrote to get an idea. Of where the story last left off, um, and then I would sit down, and then, and then it just sort of my fingers just sort of typed on the mm. keyboard, and my mind mm. was working, and I said, almost in real time, let's have it do this, then let's have it do this. Um, mm. He went here, uh, this happened. Oh, you know, I have an idea. Let's let's build this idea up and set it, set it up so that it can happen, and then uh, and then slowly the like building a puzzle it just sort of fell into peace, peace uh, f- mm-hmm. fell into place um, I uh... I don't I don't think I really had much of a um... like, a, like as you say a, a God view so to speak I, I sort of lived the story um, almost like how, you'd, how a prophet might interpret the world because he has this um... clairvoyance and he knows what's going to happen but at the same time he's not God he's still he's still on a terrestrial plane he still sees things in real time even though he knows what's going to happen
1: so. so so then how in light of all that i mean one of the questions that, you know as a writer to you is an. i'm a writer of nonfiction. you're a writer of fiction fiction is an incredibly different process and uh, as a writer when and how do you decide to edit to cut to eliminate because There are times when you could have gone on and on and described the the next battle or the next event, and instead you say, okay, enough. We have done enough of this. You get the point. Now let's move you to the next point. And it is a delightful way of keeping the book going and kind of implying all the in-between materials because you're following the important messages and not necessarily all the details of, the, of this, 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 this. I mean, you could have made this book a thousand pages long. You didn't. You're kind to the reader. You move it along, and you edit it. So how did you decide to edit this? What, what were the elements you said, okay, this has got to go, this is too much, this is too much information, because that's hard. Yeah,
0: um, I, I, I just, um, after it was finished, um, or when I, when I felt, I was writing it, and um, I would do a lot of my editing during the writing so sometimes i'd be at starbucks and um, i'd sit down and i wouldn't add to it i wouldn't add a single word to it what i would spend my hour and a half or two hours of writing actually changing and editing and fo- and creating better patterns in the script um mm-hmm. rather than um making it longer because like i would re- i would re- i'd reread re- it and say oh no 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 that can't happen There's an interesting story about you know as the uh, story as uh, the writing unfolded, I was at uh, Biola University where I where I do um, a lot of my writing as well, Um, having worked there for uh, four years. uh, I would go into the uh, what was called the Student Union Building or SUB, and um, I was there. I was going to have a nice good session of writing. I was I was ready to go. I had my coffee. And um, I, at the time, I was putting my entire story solely on a flash drive. Um, note to anyone, never do this. Not even for a trustworthy <laughs> flash drive. Um, I plugged up, in my back fl- back plugged up, in the right. flash drive. <laughs> yeah. I plugged in my flash drive, uh, the one I got at Target, and I opened up and it <laughs> said, um, file corruption. And I'm like, oh. Oh, no. No. Oh. So, no, so no. the only way to access my story at that time was to uh what's the what's the term they use to reformat the flash drive? so um, I hit reformat and I actually lost eight thousand no. words
1: oh um, they were
0: completely gone, never to be regained um, and I was so furious i
1: wow. unfortunately
0: I, I i then put the story on my hard drive and said, okay that I'm never using this flash drive again closed on my oh. laptop. I was so angry, I didn't even want to write. I went outside and punched the wall really hard, and then one of my friends saw the whole thing go down, and I'm like, oh, oh shoot, I'm sorry, I, I'm angry, and we talked about it a little bit, because he's a, he's a great guy, and um, I'm like, yeah, I just, I lost a whole bunch of my stuff, so actually, I think, after he kind of talked me down and said, okay, well, I'm here for you, you know, I'll be praying, thanks, I go back into the sub, open up my file again, and actually start writing, and... I, <laughs> Strangely enough, I was able to recall, well, I did recall everything I wrote, maybe not word for word, but um, I rewrote it, and it turned out better. Yep. And and so um, even much better, and even still, I, I saw this happen. I'm like, whoa, I, I just rewrote everything I lost, and it was better. And so I, I employed this tactic <laughs> later down the line when I deliberately and purposefully deleted 3,000 words because I thought wow, this is terrible and then I rewrote it. actually I did it twice. One, at one point I deleted 3,000 another point I deleted 1500 words because I just felt this is not good. And so mm-hmm. through this process of just as a I think it was a Ernest Hemingway who would write one page uh, of, a, of one scene of a story and only choose the best one or other writers may, write continuously without any punctuation marks or just write, 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 crumple it up, throw it away, or delete it nowadays on the computer, um, I kind of said to myself, you know, just write, and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And, um, hmm. and then over the course of the, the months, when I wrote it from June 11th to October 8th, 2012, um, I, I, I would edit it, I would re- reformat it, and I guess when I edited and changed things, I was doing it because I knew that this was inaccurate. I said, this character wouldn't do this, or that scene wouldn't envelop that way because of so-and-so and and because of da-da-da. So I did a lot of editing in in that same sense, as I spoke earlier, that I was living with the characters and knowing them personally. So a lot Mm -hmm. of my external and humanistic nature as a human, that makes mistakes and is not a perfect creator of something fictional. Is employed, and I have to do a lot of editing and a lot of uh, that stuff that I really don't like to do. So,
1: hmm. welcome, welcome to the world of writing. You know, yeah, and I, I think that, you know, it's so funny because one of the secrets of a good writer is knowing when to throw the book away and start over, <laughs> or throw the chapter away and start over. It's like, you know, just disengage the ego from that particular effort. Uh, stop investing. It is not. You know, there's something better around the corner. That is one of the secrets of a of a writer that's going to uh, go far. Oh, David, I do not want to end this interview. You are delightful to speak with. You have such uh, insight into your book in terms of personalities, uh, political references are fascinating. Your your uh, um, your commentary by way of novel to the way we're living our life currently and our current situation is uh, is thought provoking. I recommend to everybody to pick up the book, the Rudimentum series, but especially those of us who like fiction, fantasy, adventure, spirit, romance, because you will not be disappointed. In fact, I have to say that this is going on the shelf with my favorite of novels. And um, I'm sorry, but C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, you're going to have to move aside. I think I'm putting you ahead of this. So there you go, David. I wish you the very best. Uh, do you have, I'm sure, something you'd like to say to your readers? And your listeners, as you kind of conclude our time, take your time in, in doing it. We have more than 60 seconds. But what do you want to say is your parting word? And as we all go rush out on our Kindles, on Amazon, on, on uh, even where, wherever we can find this book, what would you like to say to those of us who are going to really enjoy reading your books?
0: I would like to say that fantasy is the doorway to infinity, in that imagination is utterly and thoroughly limitless. To restrict imagination is to restrict dreams, and to restrict dreams is to restrict life. I feel that the doorway to imagination and fantasy opens up upon the threshold of limitless, never-ending, and ongoing dreams, imagination, fantasy, Joy, love, faith, hope, all the things that drive men to live and to drive them to hope and to drive them to excel lies in our dreams. And the best way to access it is to just imagine and to create everything that makes you happy. And in doing so, you'll feel better, you'll just love more, you'll live more, and... And to choose, to make that conscious choice to choose to to make this happen and um, just to love and never stop loving. Because the worst thing you can do in life is not love. And that's all I have to say.
1: Oh, wow. No, that isn't all you have to say. That's just the beginning. This is the beginning of your success as an author. David Sabadian, I wish you the very best readers you shall enjoy and dip into the very essence of what he has just shared. Thanks for joining us, all of you. Thank you, David, so very much. Thank you very much.